Hello, and welcome to CAA Conversations. I'm here today with Mandy Horton and Brianna Bain. Today they're going to be talking about the Bauhaus and the new typography and their effects and influence on infographs, pictograms, and Olympic graphics. And before we get started, a little info about each of these people. We've got Mandy Horton is an associate professor at the University of Central Oklahoma, whose specialty is in design history. And she's developed multiple courses on this subject, including an award-winning history of graphic design online course, and is the director of the new design history minor at UCO. Brianna Bain is an associate professor of graphic design at Auburn University, Montgomery. And without further ado, I would like to hand this conversation over to these two. Well, thank you. Um, I would like to start out by saying why we chose this topic. And for me personally, this is one of my personal favorites in the history of graphic design. Um, just the, the entire time period, the early 1900s was a pivotal point in the history of graphic design, um, all of the avant-garde movements that were happening um, were really, really interesting. They all have these interesting connections between their ideals and the philosophies that they developed in order to create what we know as the modern movement today. And um, especially, I mentioned those connections, the interesting connections and the shared influences are really um, robust. The connections between constructivism and Dada, De Stiel, Plakestiel, and Futurism, and of course you can go on. Um, but even other things that are not necessarily associated with the avant-garde, like the German work fund. Yeah, and this topic is so intriguing to me because while I could see connections between some Olympic programs and the Bauhaus, I didn't know if there really was a connection or if it was just coincidence. So curiosity led me to find that there were some direct links and other more inspirational links. I was excited to share these with my students. For me, this just illustrated the importance of the Bauhaus even more. In fact, the infographic systems put in place for the Tokyo, Mexico, and Munich Olympics also helps illustrate the Bauhaus's influence. And see, this is where both of our research ties together. Uh, Brianna's interest in the Olympics and my interest in information graphics both have a very strong connection to both the Bauhaus and the new typography. But one of my favorite parts of teaching history of graphic design is showing students those connections, like I mentioned. Um, so Vasily Kandinsky was in Germany. Um, he's a Russian, uh, but he was in Germany prior to World War I, and he was part of the influential German expressionist movement, the Blue Rider. And then he even returned after World War I to teach at the Bauhaus. Um, then also Theo van Duisburg, who was the founder of the Stiel movement, visited the Bauhaus and even moved to Weimar for a time. Um, but of course, there's many, many more connections. Okay, well, one of my favorite parts of teaching history of graphic design is looking at concepts and the practical problems that designers throughout history have come up against and comparing them to the problems that current students, uh, designers come up against. I think that this engages students and allows them to become more open to analyzing the work and joining in discussions, as well discussing how the philosophy of William Morris influenced the Bauhaus. 
particularly presenting to the class his idea that the artist or craftsmen should be making quality pieces with their hands as opposed to mass production. This sets up an energizing debate or discussion in class. And I like to add that uh, Mars also believed that consumers should possess items that were useful as well as beautiful. This idea of form and function was a tenet that the Bauhaus school built upon. And I also like to make connections between the Bauhaus and William Morris. Um, in addition to making, wanting to make things beautiful and functional, Morris also wanted to make designs that were available to everyone. Uh, this is what we would call democratic design today. However, despite his desire to do so, he was never successful. And this was in part due to his demand for quality and in part due to his failure to embrace technology and mass production. Um, but that was something that the Bauhaus, however, did succeed in. Yes, yes, yes. There are many examples, there are many examples, but I really like the Vosley chair um, that was designed by Marcel Brewer. It was uh, a tubular, steel tubular chair. And um, Marcel Brewer was a, a student who became an instructor at the Bauhaus. And I also like the history of graphic design. Um, I like to think of it as a study in cultural anthropology. So I discuss with the students how all of these events that we've been talking about tie together in the bigger picture culturally. So when we talk about the Bauhaus and its widespread influence, I also like to talk about how the Bauhaus was closed due to pressure from the Nazi regime. Um, and also how Jan Ticolde of the new typography movement was temporarily jailed. Um, and then on his release, all of this really inspired him or, or led him and his wife to leave Germany for Switzerland. So should we discuss how the school that was closed by the Nazis became so influential? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's really influential, not only because it's a major part of art and design history in general, but it was also extremely significant to the history of graphic design. Um, this is really one of the first times that we see things like typography and layout taught in a formal setting. Uh, historically, this was taught as more of a master apprentice style approach. And it was also taught in the context of design. So with things like design principles, philosophies, uh, theories were also applied to type and layout design. So I think this is um, one of the things where you can consider or you can argue that this is where the history of graphic design really began. Um, though that's definitely a much debated topic. Um, and I personally side with, uh, with Philip Meggs on history of graphic design really beginning with the history of visual communication. Um, and I also like to point out that, that even though this is where we really start looking at type and layout in a formal setting, that it's not to say that people were not applying structure to typography prior to this. Works like Torrey's Champ Fleury and Fournier's typographic manual are some of the things that point out that that is just not true. Um, but graphic design is, is much more than type and layout today. However, it was originally defined as such. Yes, um, well, the Bauhaus philosophy has had a profound impact on graphic design and industrial design. 
if we think about the areas that were successful at the Bauhaus School, like their wallpaper designs, as I said before, they make the first tubular steel chairs, um, their textiles, the stacking chairs, uh, 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 nesting tables, Yosef Hartwig's chess games. These are goods that are still being made or iterations of them uh, are still being made. And maybe the identical wallpaper or textiles aren't available to everyone, but there were furniture designs that set in motion a new paradigm for furniture making and, and also for the use of materials. The significant piece for me in graphic design was the Bauhaus's willingness to break away from German typographical tradition and embrace simplification as a matter of echoing technology. This was profound to me because of the political climate that they were in. Um, it was also influential because universities worldwide have taken the order of the Bauhaus's curriculum and designed their own curriculum similarly. And um, Mandy and I like to explain to the students that concept of taking preliminary courses in several disciplines, then moving on to their major classes. And, and that comes from the Bauhaus School. Um, just to piggyback on that, universities in the United States have in particular had a strong influence from the Bauhaus. Many of their faculty moved to the U.S. after the Nazi regime shut them down, although some moved earlier. So we have the new Bauhaus, which was later renamed the Institute of Design, was run by Laszlo Moholy Naj. Um, the new Bauhaus also later merged with the Illinois Institute of Technology. Um, Joseph and Ob Annie Albers. Um, Annie was a former Bauhaus student. Joseph Albers was a faculty member, um, came to the U.S. and originally taught at the Black Mountain College. But then Joseph Albers went on to found the graphic design program at Yale. Um, Walter Gropius and Marcel Brewer both taught at Harvard. And then um, Ludwig Mies van der Rohe taught at Chicago's Armour Institute of Technology, which was later renamed um, the Illinois Institute of Technology. I guess we can talk a little bit about our favorite Bauhaus discussions. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'll uh, start with one of my favorite Bauhaus discussions is talking to my students about how and why it started. Walter Gropius founded the Bauhaus in 1919, and one of his ideas was that artists should embrace technology. And this idea of industrialization, the machine coming together with the traditional craft, was a constant struggle for Gropius and many of the Bauhaus educators over the 14 years that it existed. And um, the conflict is apparent in this essay. There's an essay um, uh, titled Concept and Development of the State of Bauhaus. And in the essay, Gropius credits, he goes back, he reaches back to John Ruskin, William Morris, Henry Vanderville as his inspiration for creating ways to join the realm of um, um, industry and the artists for bringing them together. Uh, the Bauhaus School figured out how to create impactful art and design um, while 
including or embracing technology, which helped give us the principles of modernity in graphic design. I also like to bring Morris into the discussion when talking about the Bauhaus. Um, Morris is always interesting to bring back up to students at this point, mostly because students tend to think linearly. Um, so they don't go back and think about what is that connection to William Morris. Um, so at this point, I will help them make that connection, um, just come back and discuss a little bit of William Morris's philosophies and how they fed the ideals on which the Bauhaus was formed. Um, and again, that just helps really reinforce those connections and help the students see those connections throughout design history. But maybe we should talk about the new typography a little bit and why it was so important. Yes, I know you like this topic so much. <laughs> um, uh, so the new typography has, um, has some major connections to the Bauhaus. The founder, Jan Ticoldi, um, along with some of the Bauhaus instructors like Herbert Bayer, um, there were some others. They, they developed theories that we know today as the modernist approach to typography. And Ticolde published those ideas in 1928 in his typographic manifesto, which he called the new typography, which is where the movement gets its name. Um, that work has been uh, republished fairly recently. Um, but in it, Ticolde talks about the history of typography, um, the previous rules that defined type and layout, and then he explains how those rules no longer work in a modern society. Um, so this was one of the first design movements whose sole focus was on graphic design. So again, referring to graphic design primarily as type and layout design. And like the Bauhaus, the new typography embraced the use of white space, asymmetrical layouts, simplification of form, and as such, um, it promoted the use of sans serif typefaces as part of that simplification of form. Um, but one of the most interesting things to me about Jan Ticolde and the new typography is that later he rejected the ideas he put forth in his manifesto because he, he came to determine that they were too controlling or too restricting. Yes. Um, Jan Ticolde is such a vibrant figure in modernist typography. One of the fascinating ideas um, to me surrounding Chicote was, <clears throat> was his transition from the German black letter style type to such a comparatively minimal page design with sans serif typefaces. Chicote is inspirational and so important for my students to look at because he was a practitioner. He was a practitioner who began as a calligrapher. So he understood the functionality of typography. And after seeing a um, Bauhaus exhibition in 1923 and being exposed to the work of Piet Mondrian, it seems like those philosophies of modernity really rocked his world and led him to experiment with type as shape and find new ways to position elements so that they forced white space on the page. And this makes his evolution wonderful to discuss. There were so many layers. Well, okay, I think that we've kind of developed a really nice backstory of the, the Bauhaus and the new typography. So why don't we kind of bring that around and talk about how it connects to infographics and Olympic systems. Okay, that's, that's good, it's perfect. So when I start looking at infographics, I look at Otto Neurath and his development of the isotype, um, along with the work of 
Otto Aker, um, his work on the Munich Olympic pictograms, which later were adapted as signage in airports. Um, I really view them as the, the pioneers of modern infographic design. Um, so Otto Neurath created the isotype um, or the international system of typographic picture education. And basically in developing this, he used the principles set out by both the Bauhaus and the new typography movement. So some of the characteristics of early infographics is that they embrace simplification of form. And they really felt that this was key to translating and understanding complicated data in a visual form. Neurath also adopted the use of Futura, a very prominent sans serif typeface, which was designed using Bauhaus principles of form. And he did this because he felt that it most readily fit the guidelines of modern design that were set forth by both the Bauhaus and the new typography. When trying to show students the impact that the Bauhaus has had on infographic design, what I try to do is to help them realize the pervasive idea of simplification of form. That idea is so large and so far reaching for instance, I guess we can talk about the Olympics uh, to talk about how far reaching it is. This idea of the Bauhaus's influence uh, reached specific Olympic visual identity styles. As I mentioned a little bit before, Tokyo, Mexico, Munich Olympics. And the Bauhaus's link to graphics for these Olympics is sometimes very direct and uh, involves the Bauhaus's influence on graphic styles that evolved as a result of its participants moving to other parts of the world. So if we go down that list and in highlight some of the connections, um, first we get to Yasoku Kamakura, the designer for the 1964 Tokyo Olympic graphics he attended the Institute of New Architecture and Industrial Arts, a Bauhaus influence school in Tokyo. Lance Wyman, the designer for the 1968 Mexico Olympics, used the popular op, op, op art style for the Mexico program. Well, the father of op art, Victor Vasarely, was trained at the Budapest Bauhaus School. And um, Otto Eicher, the designer for the 1972 Munich Summer Olympics, started the Ohm School of Design with a former Bauhaus student. His name is Max Beal, very well-known student and instructor there, or student there who became an instructor. And at one point, Walter Gropius offered the use of the Bauhaus name to the Ohm School. So, like I said, there were some kind of inspirational connections and very direct connections. And what I try to illustrate to my students is that all of these designers, Yasuko Kamakura, uh, Lance Wyman, Otto Eicher, embraced the cultural pride of each of the countries that they created the Olympic design programs for and then married them with Bauhaus-influenced styles. I also um, like to talk about Otto Aker's um, pictograms for the Munich Olympics, as I mentioned earlier, were also adapted for signage used in airports, but 
they became influential on a bigger scale. They were also adapted to signage by the U.S. Department of Transportation. And his pictograms were used for two Olympics, which is um, always an interesting tidbit to give to the students. Um, they were used not only for the 1972 Munich Games, but also in the 1976 Canadian Games. Um, and it, then it was after that that it became normal for Olympic cities to create their own unique set for each Olympic Games. But I think that we can now sort of sum all this up as to why is it important for students to know all of this stuff. Um, I like to provide a lot of interesting um, tidbits for information, like I said, just to help them engage with the content. Um, but also, it's, it's important to note that many of the rules that the modern pioneers of information design um, that they used for their work, that you can still see those in information design today. And the modern aesthetic in general is still very popular. It is um, especially um, popular among design for large businesses and corporations. Um, people branch away from that from time to time, but it seems like they always revert back to it. Yes. I'd be really interested to hear about what do you find as you're conveying your passion for this subject towards your students? Are there any like fail-safe every time you're, you know that the students have an aha moment or they get really excited about a particular image or moment, et cetera? For me, and, and this is a really, really specific answer, but I, I tend to, to run into a, a lot of illustrators. I have students who are very good at illustrating. They're trying to figure out a style to, to develop a style of their own. And um, when we talk about, um, and you mentioned it, Plaque Steel style, you can still style um, the era when posters were king. When we um, discuss that era, the students sort of, I've had students literally kind of experiment and, and duplicate and then go off and do something that's inspired, but not, you know, not plagiarizing or copying uh, any of the work. And so I've found that my illustrators tend to sometimes feel left out, my design students who are illustrators, because of the emphasis on photography or maybe an emphasis on typography or something else. And um, that period or that point in the, in the lectures where I may talk about illustration a lot or show them illustration, they... Um, they have aha moments and sometimes a few of them have been able to uh, to kind of go a little further with their personal work. That's awesome. Mandy, how about you? Anything? Uh, well, I think that because like I mentioned that uh, I try to make those cultural connections and really tie it into what else is happening around the world. Um, one of the biggest aha moments that I see in relationship to the Bauhaus is when I do talk about the fact that the Nazis shut them down. And we talk about the fact that they shut them down because they were forward thinking and, um, and the, the Nazis were really um, concerned with Germany is for Germans and a really traditional. And so they were trying to bring back tradition and um, traditional forms like the, the black letter um, typefaces and, and things like that. I, the students really see those connections and it really seems to make a big impact on them. That's excellent. 
Well, I want to thank you both. This has been so interesting. And I think a lot of the listeners are going to refer to this particular episode, especially if they are teaching uh, surveys that they may not be specialists in this area. And this is such a wealth of information that people can pull from. So thank you both. Well, thank you. Thank you.